Morning, church. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of Acts, chapter 1. The book of Acts, chapter 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them in order, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when, they, when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your Son. We thank you for your plan and your purpose from the, from the very beginning or, or even before the beginning of this world. That you planned and you purposed that you would rescue your creation through the shedding of the blood of your Son and his resurrection to new life. Lord, we thank you for your Spirit the spirit that will enable us to understand and to know the truth of the gospel. Lord, and more today than maybe others from the passage that we, we're, we're going to study, we can echo the words of Spurgeon, I believe in your spirit, I believe in your spirit, I believe in your spirit. It's in your precious and holy son's name that we pray. Amen. Okay few little housekeeping things, and then we'll look at our passage this morning. First of all, today is the seventh Sunday of Easter. Seventh Sunday of Easter. Uh, so we're kind of, we're getting to the conclusion of the Easter season. Um, and what happened this past Thursday with pretty much no notice here at Christ Church, because the reality is, is that we're not a high church. We're not a, we're not a typically liturgical church. We're just kind of lightly observing the liturgical calendar. This past Thursday was what we call Ascension Day, which would be 
this particular passage of Scripture. Um, it, is, it is the Thursday, 40 days after Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, really because of verse 3 here in chapter 1, appearing to them during 40 days, and then he ascends into heaven. So, so we kind of take that pattern and we see that uh, there. And then next Sunday will be when the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, and so we'll talk about Pentecost next week. So we're kind of coming to the conclusion of this Easter season. And because, like I said, we're not a liturgical church, it's okay for us to break the rules and to move Ascension Day from Thursday to Sunday because most of you wouldn't have, wouldn't have been, uh, been able to see the blessing of this particular passage. Had We had a service on Thursday. I know many of you have stuff, stuff going on. Not that I don't think you should uh, want to come and hear another sermon on Thursday, but that's a different subject altogether. Enough of that, let's look at Acts. Acts uh, is a second book in Luke's series of books, his two books that he writes uh, in, for us in the New Testament. And we, we, we have church tradition that tells us it's Luke, the traveling companion of Paul and, and some others, and we, we can see a little bit of the evidence of that in his pronoun changing in throughout the, the book of Acts. There's times whenever Luke is traveling with them and he, instead of saying they, he says we and all this kind of stuff. So we, we have strong evidence that it's, that it's the man Luke, that he doesn't necessarily give himself credit in the, in the title or anything like that. That's church tradition. It doesn't really matter. But we do know pretty confidently, actually completely confidently, that the book of the, book of the Acts of the Apostles is connected to Luke's gospel. Know this because if you look at the first few verses of the gospel of Luke, he tells, uh, he, he introduces himself to the same audience, uh, O Theophilus, or in the gospel, uh, in his gospel, most excellent Theophilus. Now, I'm not going to take, I'm, I'm going to take literally zero time to explain to you who Theophilus is because it doesn't matter. He's just simply the audience. But what we do see here in the first couple of verses is we see kind of the purpose of the second book. Luke explains to us in just one short verse, one short sentence, what the purpose of the gospel was. And he says, in my first book, I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given commandments through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen that is the purpose of the of the gospel of Luke which seems to be pretty narrow and I would I would suggest that it's it's obviously more complex than that one simple verse but he's simply trying to point out okay in my first book I talked about what Jesus was doing now in my second book I'm going to talk about somebody else I'm going to talk about another primary main character if you have your physical bibles maybe some of you have a title at the top of chapter 1 here or the right right the beginning of the book of Acts, and I bet you it's the Acts of the Apostles. The Acts of the Apostles. I think this is an all right title. Uh, personally, I think it's wrong, though. It's okay because this is who we see, the physical people who are walking around on earth. These are, these are the people who we see doing stuff most readily or most obviously. But the reality is, is the book of Acts is not about the Apostles. It's about the working of the Holy Spirit. Okay, the working of the Holy Spirit. And we know this because of Luke's 
thesis statement here in the first 11 verses. He says, in my first book, I talked to you about what Jesus did. In my second book, he doesn't say this, but this is the assumed sentence. In my second book, I want to talk to you about the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, he says, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now, ten days to be exact. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the reason why, literarily, we, we understand this to be the thesis statement of the book. In almost every single book of the New Testament, the author indicates for us the purpose of his writing. Paul does it in almost every one of his letters, a lot of times in his thanksgiving, uh, previous to, to him actually getting into the body of the, of the text. The authors of the Gospels, all four Gospel writers, do this by indicating certain aspects of who Jesus is in the first stories of his life. John does it by, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That defines John's Gospel. Luke, in a very similar way, he says, listen, this book... The first book was about Jesus. This book, it's about the Holy Spirit. So the question that we then place upon the text is, why? Or who? Or what value is this Holy Spirit? So we keep going here. Verse 6. It says, And when they had come together, they, meaning the apostles or the people who were traveling with Jesus, asked him, Jesus, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And it's at this point that we immediately get frustrated with the apostles. Right? Isn't, that, isn't this why we're annoyed with him in the Gospels? Because they, they completely are missing the point. Shouldn't this be about time for Jesus to scold them for their, for their foolishness and their misunderstanding of what God is doing? Jesus earlier, when, when, when Peter, Jesus asks Peter, he's like, who do you say that I am? Peter's like, you're the Christ. And Jesus is like, good job, great Great work. And by the way, what it means to be the Christ is that I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. And three days later, I'm going to rise. And Peter was like, no, 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 you can't do that. And Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. Because, because you have things, your, your focus is, is of things of the earth, but, but you need to be focused on the things of God. Isn't this, what Jesus, isn't this what they're doing right now? They're like, okay, you've done this dying thing. Now, now you've rose. You've proven that you can't die. I bet you now's the time that you're going to go and you're going to sit on the throne of Israel and you're going to restore us to, to our rightful place on earth and you're going, to, you're going to free us from the oppression of the Romans and, and all these very earthly things. Naturally, this is where they go. But notice something. Jesus doesn't tell them you're wrong. Rather, he says, shift your attention. This is what I think he's saying. Shift, shift your attention a little. Put the focus on the right thing and all the other things might take place. He says it's not, 
It's not for you to know the times and the seasons that the Father has fixed. Indicating for us that there's actually times and seasons that the Father has fixed. He's just simply telling the disciples, the apostles, like, he's like, yeah, there are times and seasons for the kingdom of man to be reestablished for God's purposes. But that's not your focus. Your focus is something different. So it's not that we shouldn't care about the kingdom of Israel. In fact, I think the rest of the New Testament, Romans in particular, and and then even Revelation, tells us in some manner, some way, shape, or form, we should, in fact, care about the kingdom of Israel. But it should never be our primary focus. It should never be the thing that we take the most time and energy on. It should always be subservient to what Jesus is about to say. First, the first book, my first book, O Theophilus, was about Jesus. My second book, O Theophilus, is about the Holy Spirit. I'd like, to, I'd like to pose a thought for you. I'd like to pose a purpose of this ascension, this story, the, the ascension of Jesus. I think the ascension of Jesus, the purpose of the ascension of Jesus is to show to us the value of, or the importance of the Holy Spirit in our lives today. Think, think, let's think about this. Let's, let's, let's set aside spiritual thoughts for just a second, and we'll pick them back up in, in a second. Let's set aside spiritual thoughts, and let's think about how, how life operates, or how, how a, a movement operates, right? A, a movement. And this is essentially what takes place, and in, in earthly terms. Again, we're setting aside the spiritual for a second. We're going to pick it back up because if we don't pick it back up, we've completely failed. But we're set aside. We're going, to, we're going to do something foolish, but we're going to know we're doing something foolish. Let's think about this just simply in terms of numbers. Imagine if Jesus stayed on earth for just a minute. Imagine if Jesus stayed on earth. He, he tells the Pharisees, he's like, he's like, my disciples don't fast because I'm here. They need to be focused upon me. When Jesus returns, we're not going to still be going and telling people about Jesus because he's here. Nothing else matters anymore. He is our focus, and we're going to turn our attention to him. Jesus tells us we're going to do far more than he could do on earth because there is a reality of our focus upon him. So the disciples, they're following after Jesus. And now let's pretend that Jesus' ministry is going to last for 30 years, and let's say that that every single day, plus a couple more days for easy math, Jesus witnesses and and brings somebody to a knowledge of himself for 30 years, say 400 people a year. That's 1,600 people in 30 years, or 16,000 people, excuse me, in 30 years' time. Now imagine this leader leaves, and our focus no longer is upon sitting at his feet and listening, but now going, we're still dwelling with Jesus, but we're going with Jesus, and now we're going to tell people about Jesus ourselves. You know what happens whenever you have, when you have exponential growth? Now I go and I tell somebody, now, now there's two people, now us two people, we go and we tell each one person each, now that's four people, and then us four people go tell one person each, now that's eight people. You know how many days it takes to get to 16,000 plus? Fourteen. It takes two weeks to, to do what Jesus did in 30 years. 
Now, all of you, I think, are going, but wait a minute, we're talking about numbers here. And obviously, we're talking about numbers. We're talking about, we're talking about Jesus only converting one person a day, which, which is absurd and all this kind of stuff. But, but this is what Jesus is essentially telling us. It's like, listen, I'm going to leave because I'm going to send my spirit. And when I send my spirit, growth is going to happen. Jesus, Luke is, is, is showing us here, he's like, listen, Jesus, he's the, he is the method, he is the salvation, he is, he is everything to us, he is, he, is the, he, is, he is the propitiation of our sins, he is the one who came to this earth to suffer, to die, to pay the debt of our sins, and to free us from the bondage of sin, but now the Spirit is going to come and he is going to be the movement of the gospel. I said a couple weeks ago that the gospel is not the gospel if the gospel is not mobile. Meaning, if the gospel is simply something that is in me, all it is is information. Right? The gospel is, is what? It's the good news. The news, by definition, is something that is proclaimed. It's something that is going from me, information that I have, to information that I share with you. It's good news. It's a good proclamation. So by definition, the gospel must be mobile. And we ask ourselves, as we rightly should ask ourselves, how do we, to use terms from, from Wes and I's conference this week, how do we, jars of clay, weak and feeble people, who, who in the same words as, as Paul in the book of Romans, wretched men that we are, men and women that we are, how do we take such a dramatic and amazing message and move it in the world. And it's not because we're strong and Jesus sees some strength in us and so he says, you're going to do this. No, rather, it's something else entirely. He says, shift your attention from the focus of these earthly, earthly things and pick up, as it were, that spiritual side of this story. So we pick the spiritual side back up and he goes on. Verse 8, but you, speaking to his disciples, will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. What's the importance of the Spirit? The Spirit is our power. Is our power. Before we look at this most important part of the sentence, it says when, when you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, it's important for us to take note of how the language of the book of Acts shifts as you go from start to finish. In the first few chapters, everything that takes place takes place in the obvious outpouring of the Spirit, meaning that Luke himself tells us, and they did this because of the Spirit. And we did this because of the Spirit and healed Him because of the Spirit. And the Spirit is very central and very obvious and very noticeable. And, and then as you go through Acts, we could wrongly understand what takes place as being the Spirit starts to leave. Because by the time we get to the end of Acts, the Spirit is almost never mentioned. The disciples, the apostles, the, the future Christians that are being that are being raised up by God through the working of the apostles early on in the story, are not, we're, not, we're not seeing this, this explicit language that the Spirit did that, had them do this, or the Spirit healed this person, or the Spirit... We have this, 
shift from everything that happens is the Spirit to nothing that happens is mentioned to be the Spirit. Now, here's my caution to you as you uh, who who want to have a new book to study, you go to the book of Acts and you start studying, and I think that's a good endeavor. If you've never studied through the book of Acts, it's a fantastic book to study. But as you go through the book of Acts, I want you to notice that and not think that it's the Spirit leading us, but rather that we're simply starting to get used to the Spirit. But then we caution ourselves to not get used to the Spirit so much that we become blind to the Spirit. We live in a, a farm culture, a rural setting. And some of the people in here are, are the reason why when you drive down the road, you smell manure. Right? But after a little while, what happens? When, when they're first spreading the manure, you go, oh, oh. You've lived here all your life and you're still not quite used to it. Like, yeah, it's just gross. It's disgusting. It seemed particularly bad this year. It's a different story altogether. But as you're, as you're driving through it, and pretty soon, maybe the next day, I, I just want to, it doesn't seem quite so bad. To the point where you don't even smell it at all. You know what this is? This is called nose blindness. It's when your brain, because your, your brain is amazing, because God is amazing, your brain actually tells you that the smell that's common it's no longer there because you need to smell other things. This is like if you have a cat in your house or a dog in your house and you get used to the smell of the dog and then somebody else comes in your house and goes, oh, and it smells. My mom does this with us with our dog. She doesn't like the dog in the house. So she wants to make me not have the dog in the house. Anyway, she smells. I don't smell it. And I think this is what's happening with the book of Acts, with the Holy Spirit. I think the Holy Spirit is still there, is still working. And we know this because the, the simple foundation that Luke lays right at the beginning, that we start to get used to the Holy Spirit by the end. We don't have to tell everybody that the Holy Spirit was the one enabling and empowering them to do the things that they were doing. Everybody knows that mere humans can't heal people and, and save them and and transform their lives. No no human can do that, but the Spirit can. And at the end, it seems like the humans are doing it. But it's not. They've simply gotten used to it. Now the caution, the caution I think people like Francis Chan and the Forgotten God have is that we should, we should very much caution ourselves to become blind to the Holy Spirit. Let us not think that because we don't feel this great and wonderful power that dwells in us from the beginning, right? We, we know this when we come to know Jesus, we have this new power in us and we feel it. Let's not forget that as we get used to it, we don't become blind to the Spirit or deaf to the Spirit. We should always be attentive to the working of the Spirit and looking and observing the Spirit so that we don't become blind to it. But what does the Spirit do? But you will receive power when the Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, this... Loved ones of God, 
is a humongous task. Has anybody ever been to another country? Anybody ever been to another continent? Anybody ever been to all other continents? Has anybody ever preached the gospel in Australia? Or Russia? Or fill in the blank? No, right? Not, I don't think anybody in this room. And there's very few people who have the privilege of getting to do this. Paul did a pretty excellent job. He barely scratched the surface. Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which is a city, inside the Judean nation state, which is in the larger Samaritan or Sumerian region, which obviously is part of the earth. Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses in concentric, growing spaces of of human existence. They go, they go, hey, Jesus, is it time for the kingdom of Israel to be reestablished? And Jesus says, no, actually, here's what I want you to be. I want you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to be my heralds in the world. That's not the same term. That's not what Jesus is doing. He's not telling us that we're simply heralds. I, maybe you don't know what I mean when I talk about heralds. A king, one of the things that is connected to a king is, is somebody who is going to speak on behalf of the king. Right? Jesus is our king, and we become his, his witnesses, his proclamating people in this world. But it's no simple task, as we'll see by the rest of the book of Acts. It's, in fact, incredibly difficult and, and actually life-threatening and life-taking to go and to tell people about this Jesus. And in yourselves, you're not strong enough. In yourselves, you're not going to go to the ends of the earth and proclaim the gospel truth of Jesus dead and raised from the cross to the grave to new life. This is a very big and daunting task. But it is the task, dare I say, of every single follower of Jesus, period. The Gospel of Matthew concludes with Jesus giving what we call the Great Commission. He says, go therefore and make disciples of not Jerusalem. He doesn't say go make disciples of fellow Jewish people who already have the same foundation. He says, no, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them the commands, to obey the commands that I have given. This is not a command to just the apostles. He says, go make disciples. A disciple is by definition a follower. We are to go and tell the good news and teach the good news. And in the good news being taught, we learn that we should go and teach the good news. And, and, and you know what happens? It's not one to one to one plus one plus one plus one plus one. No, it's, it's, it's one plus one plus two plus four plus Jerusalem plus Judea plus Samaria, plus the ends of the earth. It's, it's Sterling, Ohio, plus Creston, Ohio, plus Rittman, Ohio, plus Wayne County, Ohio, plus the state of Ohio, plus the United States, plus North America, plus all the earth. This is our mission as gospel-bearing followers of Jesus. 
And if that isn't a scary thought, I don't know what is. It's mind-bogglingly huge. And Paul goes to great emphasis. This I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to go back to this. Wes and I went to the basics conference this week, and, and the, the theme was jars of clay. Paul makes it abundantly clear that there's not a single person on earth that has ever thought themselves worthy to be a bearer of this massive news because we know ourselves. And yet, Jesus says, go be my witnesses. Not just here, not just with people who care about you. Go share this good news with the enemies, with those who hinder the gospel. Spurgeon preaches a sermon. He talks about Paul's first prayer. And he starts this sermon by talking about, about how God confounds the enemies of the gospel message. Right? God, God has a purpose to, to expand the kingdom of God. And Paul, who was first called Saul, he is, he is when, when the story begins he, in, in the book of Acts, he, he is an adversary to the good news of Jesus. He is actually, he is actually on a mission. He has made it his life's mission to, to eliminate people who believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And you know what God does? God just doesn't stop him, make his ministry, make his make his speaking unimportant or unlisten toable. He converts him to become one of the most powerful influences that your church has ever had. Now, how does this happen, or why does this happen? How has Paul changed from being an enemy of Jesus to being his most vocal and bold advocate? Dare I say, the Spirit of God that dwells not in just Paul, but in all of us who call on Jesus as Lord and Savior? This promise, gift from the Father that, that yes, Jesus is leaving. He's, he's no longer going to be the figurehead telling us what to do here on earth, but I'm going to send you a, a helper to work and to minister, and to teach, and to exhort, and to transform your life, and to be the power of the movement of the gospel. Amen? So what should we do then? Right? I love that this humongous verse is followed by dopey disciples standing, staring into the sky. Because that's how it, that's, that's what immediately happens. Jesus, he's saying all these wonderful things, these profound things, and he's floating off into the sky. He disappears into a cloud. And what do you see? You see the disciples standing, mouths gaping open. Right? Look, look, I'm floating, floating, right? You're amazed at my, my magic. Now imagine if somebody truly lifted themselves into the sky. You'd be standing there just stupidly staring into the sky too. And, and all of a sudden they're, stand, they're staring. And these two guys come up there like, what are you doing? What? What are you doing? This Jesus who you're watching, go, who, who you saw go up in heaven, he's going to return in the same way. Note again... 
This isn't a scold. These two men, they, they might be angels because we get them described as robed wearing white robe wearing men. We don't know. It doesn't matter. They don't go, man, what are you guys doing standing around not doing anything? They said, yeah, he went up into heaven. He's going to come back the same way. We'll learn later that he's going to come back and everybody's going to pay attention when he comes back. What are you doing? And so then verse 12, verse 12 to 14, it says, then they return to Jerusalem, right? Jesus said, stay in Jerusalem until I send the promise, until the Father sends his promise. They return to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, about a Sabbath day journey. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room, probably where they had the Last Supper. And they were, they were staying, where they were staying, Peter, and John, and James, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James, not to be confused with Judas Iscariot, the one who betrays Jesus. These are the rest of the apostles. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Now here's the difference between the 11 apostles here and us today. They had to wait a few days until the Holy Spirit came. But you know what's not different for them than it is for us? We need to learn to wait on the Spirit. They were waiting because the Spirit had not descended. In the Old Testament, the Spirit would fall on somebody like David or Samson, and they would do some great thing for God, and then the Spirit would leave. Jesus says the promise is not that you will receive the Spirit when you need the Spirit. You will receive the Spirit Always, period, end, over. You will have him forever. But, but we wait on the Spirit to hear the Spirit, to learn from the Spirit, and to be taught by the Spirit what to do and how to move. At the beginning, the apostles are extremely reliant upon the vocal voice of the Spirit. We are too. We don't do any of this wonderful and amazing things without the power of the Spirit that dwells in us. And we really should learn to, in one accord, devote ourselves to prayer and waiting upon the Spirit of God. Waiting implies inaction, but that's not true. Waiting upon the Spirit is actually more action-packed than anything that we could possibly do. Read the rest of the book of Acts if you don't believe me. We need to learn to, to marinate ourselves in the power of the Holy Spirit, devoting ourselves to each other and to the prayer and to the reading and expounding of Scripture so that we can learn and know the voice of the Spirit so that when God calls us to move, we're ready to move. So that His kingdom will come. The place where God reigns on this earth. It's this already but not yet. The kingdom of God is actually here already, but it's not in its fullness. Jesus doesn't sit on earth your throne just yet. That's 
for God's time and God's season. But we, as his followers, as his heralds, as his witnesses, to the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells in us, we wait together, we in one accord pray together, learn together, and bring the kingdom of God to earth. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord Jesus Christ, powerful Spirit of God, we invite you, we plead with you to come into our midst, or rather, so that we simply might know your presence in our midst. Or the promises of your, your word, the, the information that we find in your word is that where two or three of us gather together in the name of Jesus, there you are also. We don't need you to fall new in our hearts. We need you to make yourself known to us. So often that means that we need to be moved aside and our attentions need to be fixed upon you. But Lord, we invite you to press that true in our hearts and our lives. Lord, again, we believe in your spirit. We believe in your spirit. We believe in your spirit. In your precious and holy son, Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand up.